Welcome to the Marketing for Business podcast. This is your host, Scott Wilson. Marketing for Business podcast is about uh, giving people insights into uh, the, the world of business and interviewing uh, successful business people uh, and hearing their stories and sharing them with, uh, with other business owners. Uh, we've actually got some people that in the room that have been on the podcast uh, and so we've got some people that'll be on the podcast too. So appreciate you uh, coming along today. Um, so lucky enough to, to over the years build relationships with the gentleman here uh, straight on, on my right here, Mr. Kevin Eater, owns Trade Staff. Um, you know, a really good New Zealand business. Uh, if you haven't listened to his podcast, it's uh, one of the first that we did. Uh, appreciate Kevin coming along. Uh, fascinating businessman, and and you'll get some really good gems from 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 Kevin. So make sure you take notes. And obviously, introduced uh, um, Tony before uh, our co-sponsor for tonight. Um, so he uh, he will have some gems from you. Yeah, he's from he's from the deep south of Invercargill. Um, so if we need a translator, um, we'll be okay. Uh, and then I thought I'd better bring my landlord along. Um, no, to be fair, I've, I've known Sean now for probably five years uh, and, and really admire what he's done for Christchurch as a, as a, as a city. Uh, one of the first buildings or build, uh, developers to get a building back in the CBD uh, and he's really his class act when it comes to uh, uh, developing and, and, and reworking the, the CBD of Christchurch. So we're privileged to have the three gentlemen here. And I think Sean, by a long way, wins the shoe. Um, followed closely by Kevin and Tony, a long way behind. Even though he's just come back from Hawaii, just come back from Hawaii I thought you might have um, stashed out. All right, let's get started. T- today's theme's about... Um, Success leaves clues. I'm a massive believer in it. Uh, success does leave clues. I've seen it uh, over my lifetime. Uh, I've seen, um, you know, learning from other people. So the first question I wanted to go to is I'd love an example from you guys um, that you've learned about success from another successful person. Uh, and if you can, I'd love to share you guys to share a story. So, um, Sean, uh, we're going to start with you. Do you need the mic? If you. So it's 1997. And I'd sold cars for about 20 years. I've been a car dealer and I started in real estate and do a real estate course and go to the first conference and we come across a guy called Bob Wolf, who was where I pinched the saying success leaves clues, although other people have said it. So uh, he used to have a saying, if, 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 they walk, if they're successful and they walk like a duck, walk like a duck. Um, all that type of stuff. And he used to talk about don't worry about interest rates. It's like the rain. You can't change them, so don't try to change it. And you talk about be prescriptive about what you want in life and what you want to achieve. So if you want 52 ties, put it in your diary. You want 52 ties. If you want a new car and the market's bad, go to the dealership after hours, look at the car, work out what you want, and focus yourself on it. If you focus on it, you'll draw yourself to it. So, um, And... Uh, I followed him for years, and when I was in real estate, followed him for a long, long time. What he done, how he operated, he was the top agent in the US for years and made a fortune. So, so what would he be saying about interest rates now? Then, I'm not sure what they are in the states. He's probably more concerned about the government there at the moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can't change interest rates. You can't yeah. change the weather. And that was his philosophy around it. You can't change them. Can't change the weather. So don't focus on Get it. Get on with it. Yep. Focus oh. on what you want. 
what you want to do, what you want to become, where you want to go, how you're going to get there, diary your holidays, all that type of stuff, which being in my car dealer lane for 20 years, I hadn't really experienced it. And what, what impact did that have? Did you start doing that? Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I got had, I ran a, a, not like a day diary, I ran a separate, like a journal, and I had in it what I wanted. So I wanted this, I wanted that, all that type of thing. And you found that sometimes you wouldn't look at it for a while, then you'd go back to it and you'd actually see, well, actually, I've done that, and I've done that, and I've done that. Anyone else in the room do that? Nice. Some successful people in the room. Yes, Ashley. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Tony. Thank you. Well, back to real estate. So I was selling in Invercargill back in the old days and uh, obviously um, become part of Harcourts back a long, long time ago, 91. So, and uh, there was, in fact, it was back to Hawaii. So there was a conference here. Steve Collins said, come on, Tony, you should be there. And I was doing quite well in real estate, but, you know, went over there and heard these American speakers and uh, you need to get a PA. And I thought, oh, this is going to be quite interesting. I mean, I like to do it all myself. But I realised very quickly in business that you can't do it all yourself, whether you're selling, you're running a business. So I've got three words I use every day, delegate, delegate, delegate. So in the end, I had a PA, full-time PA, and the guys in the office used to laugh at me because she would do my, I was single at the time, she would do my groceries, the car was groomed, um, all my stuff was done like I was just focusing on listing and selling real estate. So I wrote a few notes here, but I'm not going to refer to them. But I suppose in business, you've got to be dollar productive. Be good at what you do. Not You don't want to be good at everything because I think we all have our strengths and weaknesses. So technology is not my strength. The guys in the office, there's a couple here tonight, know that. So um, And that's why I get, get good people around you to do the things. So that PA absolutely changed my business. And... One other thing that I think that helped me in business in the old days was I um, so I obviously run the business with a partner. I was a selling partner, so my partner came up to Christchurch actually in, back in about six years after we started the business, and I thought, gosh, what am I going to do? I'm selling real estate now. I'm running this office with 20-odd people. Surely they're going to do everything I used to do. Well, that doesn't quite happen that way, but... Uh, I had a mentor here in Christchurch, a guy uh, financially used to do a lot of work for Harcourts, and he said to me, TJ, you need to get an in-house accountant. So once I took that step forward, I got good financial records given to me on a monthly basis, and from that day on, I've kept you know, the business I'm running, doesn't matter what I'm running, good records can keep you ahead of what's going on. Good P and L's. Yeah, nice. And and when you say delegate, delegate, oh, now we've got some sound. Um, was that an expensive cost for you? Well, it was. I mean, you know, you're sort of there. You, I mean, a PA, I suppose, in those days was probably not a lot of money now, but 25, 30 grand was a decent sized chunk of money. Yeah. This is back 100 years ago, uh, 30 years ago. Um, but look, over those next few years, I, I went to number two in Harcourts yeah. in New Zealand. And from Invercargill, so I could list 20 houses a month back in the day and I couldn't have done it without the support. Yeah. And another guy ended up getting a buyer's agent, first probably to have a PA, probably one of the first in New Zealand really in those wow. days. Awesome. Thank you. Kevin. Um, well, my story is probably a little bit different, I guess. Uh, I started trade staff when I was 29 or so and uh, 
after two or three years, I realised that I was actually quite good at it. Yep. Um, and the industry was just something that suited me. Um, but I looked around and I could see these people, and they were ancient, I suppose, but they were in their 50s. And uh, <laughs> I'm 56 now. <laughs> uh, they were in their 50s, and uh, and I thought they were pretty useless, to be honest. But they had the big flash car, and they had the big boat, and they're always on overseas holidays and doing all of that stuff. And so I became incredibly frustrated. And I talked to a, to an older fellow that I knew and sort of said, look, you know, I'm just so incredibly frustrated that I literally have no money. My business is growing massively. It's doubling in size every eight months. Um, the P&Ls look good. I've got no cash. You know, I might go broke any moment. And it's just so frustrating when I realize I'm good at this, but I, I don't see the success. And uh, he just laughed at me and said, you know, you're 32 years old. You know, you're too young to have success just keep doing what you're doing, hang in there, get better every day. And when you're in your 50s, you know, you'll have the big flash car. I don't. Uh, boat, I don't. But overseas holidays, I'm a world champion at that. Um, and so, you know, for me, it was actually one of patience and not getting ahead of myself and just remembering to do, just keep doing the right thing and and to be bold and to understand that, that success would come. And uh, sure enough, it did. Yeah. What does is, what is being bold mean to you, though? What's... What was that? What was that mindset? Um, well, we we started in Christchurch um, here, and for the first fourteen months it was just me. Um, I employed uh, Lady Janice, uh, who turned out very quickly to be good at the business. She's still with us today. So, so the story, the story behind that though, you ran an ad for how long? Um, I ran, I ran an ad in the in the newspaper. Unemployment was nine and a half percent. I ran an ad in the Christchurch Press saying I was looking for a needle in a haystack, uh, and I got about a thousand replies. And um, so, about a month later, it was crazy, but about a month later, I put another ad in the paper saying, "Hey, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm ironically just too busy to interview anyone <laughs> in a recruitment organisation, right?" Um, and so, Janice faxed me of all things and said. Uh, uh, I, I'm glad to hear you haven't forgotten about me because I haven't forgotten about you either. When am I, when's my interview? Um, and uh, so that's being bold, I guess, because I, I employed it that afternoon. <clears throat> but what I was going to say is we started in Christchurch. Uh, Janice became obviously quite good at it. And after a while, we were tripping over each other. So um, I wanted to open a, a branch somewhere else. But, but if it didn't work out, I was conscious of the fact that maybe because I'd been in Christchurch for a few years, that was the reason I was doing okay. Uh, so we opened a branch in Hamilton, which was far enough away, but I felt similar to Christchurch uh, with a rural connection. Um, and I lived basically in Hamilton for four days a week for a year, and we grew that business into a bigger than than uh, Christchurch. And one of the recurring themes that came is I'd go to clients and they would always say, oh, you know, we've got a branch in, in Tauranga. Um, if you're in Tauranga, you know, we would do business with you. So I got sick of hearing that, so I organised a lunch with five or six of these gentlemen and said to them, okay, look, you've said this, if I open a branch in Tauranga, will you do business with me? They said yes, and so six weeks later we opened a branch there. And then we just went a bit crazy, to be honest, and opened another five in the next two years, which is why I had no money, I suppose. But, <clears throat> but we were just bold in the fact that we worked out, um, amazingly enough, that we were it was an established um, industry here in Christchurch, but not in the North Island. I think most people in the Waikato actually think that I invented temping, that I invented <laughs> recruitment, um, which we traded on quite a bit. 
Um, so, you know, we, we, we realised that there was an opportunity that there wasn't a lot in the market. Uh, today it's very, very different. Um, we've got 23 direct competitors in Christchurch alone. So, you know, we, we were sort of first to market. That's awesome, right? What a great story. And facts even. How good. Hey, uh, Sean, I'm going to ask you this question uh, because, uh, you know, look, after the earthquakes, um, you know, we, if we're all, you know, people here from Christchurch will know this and experience that there was a lot of, lot of uncertainty. Uh, government had promised a lot of stuff, but but I want to know, you know, how do you approach risk taking and decision making from a business point of view? Because I think the landscape that maybe we're moving into, um, not say we're going to go into recession, but but you know, it's difficult out there for people, right? Uh, interest rates are high, um, you know, inflation's high, prices are biting. How do you approach, you know, making decisions and risk-taking in those environments? My risk appetite these days is a lot lower than what it was back then. Yeah. But after the quakes, we had, um, we lost 14 CBD buildings uh, and everything, we had two left and um, everything we had was damaged. All the suburban stuff was damaged, everything was damaged and we done a deal with the insurer eight months out from the quakes and got a, got our check, um, lost of rents and a trust account. So we were sort of done, and we looked at rebuying in Auckland, um, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah. We went up there and looked, looked at some property. They all stacked up. This is all good. Looked an apartment, and we just just couldn't get it over the line. So we made the call to um, rebuild here, and the first building we rebuilt was the jewellers on the corner of. Mexican restaurant jewelers on the corner of Manchester and Worcester. So we rebuilt it. Boom, she's built. Tenants moved in July 2012 on the 12th. And on the 26th, they announced the blue, the frame, which the blueprint, which the building was going. So you built the building and then they canned it. Yeah. It was fully tenanted, all set to go. Um, had a government tenant in it too. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um so then we re then we started to rebuild Strangers Building, which has got Strangers Lane and everything in it. So we, we get about get foundations down, and they take us at the Atakaro, which was Sarah then, give us a call up. Said, I want to take you out for dinner, have a chat. So Dean and I go out for dinner and sit with them, and he says, oh, look, we've got this. Don't like to tell you this, but we've just developed this scheme where you've got to have 7,500 metres of land to develop. It was, remember that silly rule they had? And we had like 700 metres. I could have punched the guy, you know, and we just said, we can't do it. So we got dispensation to keep going, and we built that one. We restored the one next door, which was the Bollington House, and then we just kept building, just kept going. Yeah. But we're at a stage now in life where, um, you know, 60-plus, you fall over the handlebars, you don't get up again easily. But but if you look back, like, you know, if you're in your 30s, what would be advice to some of the people that are in the room that are in their 30s going, hey, you know, I like this property gig. You know, what, what, and especially the commercial side. What, yeah. When I was in my 30s, I used to buy everything I could buy. The debt level didn't worry me. The LVRs didn't worry me. As long as I could service them and buy the property, I just kept buying. Buy, you know, if you found a, you know, some 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 old guy retiring as a landlord, had a block of flats or something, you'd leave most of the money in, bang, I'd be straight on them. Nice. And you'd get it banked. And then five years later, the market's, you know, risen, the rents have risen, you've improved the property. You can a bank will take it out, and you've just picked up that equity in it. Yeah, I remember you saying on the podcast you try always tried to buy two or three of them at the time. Yes, yes. Tony, I'm going to ask you the same question. You had an interesting scenario because you came to Christchurch 
12 months before the earthquakes, yep. uh, invested in a business, and you got a phone call after the earthquakes from your Invercargill lawyer. What did he say to you? He said to me, Tony, pack up and come home because my old business partner went to Christchurch and took his own life about, uh, or probably about, 15 years earlier so he was a bit worried that I was going to be so you know, I'll just roll the story back a wee bit so 2009 I get a call from the girls that own this business I'm happily in Invercargill running a business down there they said Tony we did tell you we'd give you an opportunity but we're going to give you 10 days you need to fly up this week talk to us if you want to buy it you need to be on the case so I went, flew to Christchurch running a successful business down south I had a Harkless franchise in Invercargill Gore and Wanaka, so I was giving up quite a bit to come up. So anyway, I made a decision within a few days. Yep, we're buying it. I was in Christchurch about two weeks later, running a whole new business that I didn't know the people. So it was a big call to come to a new area that you knew no one, apart from a few of the business owners that probably didn't like me coming up here. And, how uh, and, and I got, I got the word that got back to me was, what's the Southam Farmer and Gumboots going to do in the middle of Fenelton? That was my motivation speech. So. I quite enjoyed that. And 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 how did you relate to people? Like, what, what Well, my biggest one was just to connect with the people. So I had a lot of coffee in that first couple of weeks. I was coffeeing. Actually, one of the guys said to me, Tony, you've only been here six to 12 months. Brian Buckingham works in his office here. And he said, how do you know so many people? I said, when you go to Aitman's and number four, three, four times a week, you meet a lot of people. <laughs> the life of a real estate agent. So you asked another question. Sorry, I got sidetracked. It was around, you know, your approach to risk-taking, decision-making. Well, I mean, I suppose that was, you know, I did, Especially even now, I did what... back myself those days. I mean, I, hey, we run a reasonably good business down south. I thought, well, people, oh, I like the idea of a challenge. Oh, you can't do it in Christchurch. You've done it in Chicago. I thought, well, it's not much different. It's, it's a people business we're in. Uh, if you're good to people, they'll be good to you. So my attitude was come up, create an environment that's successful, have a bit of fun, because I don't like doing anything now unless I'm having a lot of fun, uh, create a bit of culture, and get on with it, you know? Yeah. You're big on culture, right? We're Huge on culture, yeah, I am. Yeah. What, what's your favourite saying? A bit of fizz in the coke. A bit of fizz in the coke. <laughs> so Tony runs, uh, Tony runs sessions here on a Tuesday morning. We've got a couple of agents here in the room, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple of new agents start with us, and they think, what's Tony on in the mornings, you know? What sort of pills is he on? Oh, you need it. You need it. Hey, Kevin, I'm going to cut to you now. Um, I know you've got a good story about this, and if I have to prompt you, I will, because I really enjoyed it when you told it. How do you balance, uh, Antony and, and um, Sean, you can think about this too, how do you balance cutting costs and, and but the need to be continually investing in growth uh, in difficult times in business? You know, like people right now might be saying, geez, do I cut costs, but I still need to grow? How, how do you balance that right now in the market that we're in? And how did you balance it when we talked about you were in Italy and that's or uh, Spain, and that's how you found out where the GFC was happening? Um, <clears throat> I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say here after you front me. I just just go just I'll come back to that. We'll have a bit of a think. Uh, the risk the risk thing I think that one thing that does happen as you get older, and as you've got more to lose, you do become a little bit more risk averse. Um, so when I was younger, I was basically full of bullshit and jelly beans and would, would attack everything, very confident. Um, now I'm not so full of the jelly beans, but we look at look at it very differently now. If we're, if we're going to acquire a business or open a new business, firstly, it's got to be meaningful. Does it add to what we do? Um, and then to look at it and say, if it completely goes sideways, will it hurt us that much? 
Um, if it's going to hurt too much, I must admit, these days I'd rather not bother. I've gotten a bit lazy. Um, cutting costs, I don't really cut costs. I don't really believe in it. Um, because the thing about cutting costs is that you, something else gives. So if you're cutting costs massively, I mean, I drive a hard bargain, as you know, but if you're starting to go through things and chopping costs, then then I would look at what you lose. Do you lose your service proposition or do you affect the well-being of your staff or, or, or what comes from that? So I personally tend to look at the other end of it. Uh, for me, you know, my business is driven on our GP. I'm a, I focus massively on our GP. Um, I believe that revenue is basically for vanity. Um, profit is what, you know, buys my kids' shoes. Nothing as fancy as those. Um, and so I tend, to, I tend to focus more on the GP. And I think what you're alluding to is that, yep, I was in Spain. I went to the Santander Bank um, in late 2007. And they'd closed all the ATMs and you had to line up in a big long line. And the most you could draw out of a bank account was 100 euro at a time. So when I got back, I realised the world had changed, the GFC had arrived. Um, so what I did is I looked at what business we are doing and realised that a lot of it wasn't particularly profitable. So when everyone else was discounting and chopping, I just put our prices up. I put them up right across the board. Um, and basically, we we I figured that business would probably drop by about 10%. So I sort of put up our, our margins by 15%. And by the end of 2009, when all the uh, international agencies had closed their offices and buggered off. Um, we were more profitable than what we had been in 2007. No good. Who's uh, going to raise their price in tomorrow? <laughs> We've actually done it over the last um, couple of years as well. We've, we do actually openly tell our, our clients that we are the most expensive recruitment agency in New Zealand. Um, and, and if you're going to say that, you have to be able to say why, and that is basically because, you know, in the last couple of years, we all know about skill shortages, and people say to me, oh, you must be the busiest guy in Christchurch because everyone wants staff, and, I, and my response is I don't have any. You know, we've been a pub with no beer for the last two years. So if we're going to do less business, we need to make more from it. The great benefit of that is that now things are picking up for us. Um, we're still 25% down on what we were pre-COVID, um, but we'll make more money this year than we did pre-COVID. That's awesome. Tony? In terms of cutting costs, obviously after the earthquake, we did react pretty quickly. So I think we got a, a call from our Harcourt franchise manager in Auckland, Joe Clifford. He said, Tony, do you know this is going to be a real tough time for you guys? We're predicting about you're going to do about 25% of your business you did last year. So we're all sort of sweating a bit. So I went out and I talked to the um, Mike Mullins was their CFO there, and I said, TJ, you're not going to get many money off the guy that owns this building here was a Korean guy and uh, he won't do anything with the rent. So I said, no, no, we're going to have a talk to him. So I asked him for a three-month discount. Sure enough, we asked. If you don't ask, you don't get. He gave us a three-month discount on the rent. We went to our photocopy suppliers. We got every single person that dealt with us, we got a discount. So you can get it. And my old saying is, Sometimes you've got to eat the frog and do the things that you may not want to do. So if you're running a successful business, sometimes you've got to do things. And one of the other things too is uh, we, you know, we had a, an office in St Albans. In fact, that's where our office is now. At that stage, we were paying huge rent. The guy that I bought the business off had developed the building, Mr Ken Sharpland. So he hydraulic the rent up. So we took it as an opportunity to get out of that lease and at the time, we got 100,000 key money at the time, which was 
pretty good money, and we all relocated here to Wyland too. So from that day on, I think you can actually um, just control your costs, but also my philosophy is if you want to run a good business, you should be actually owning the property that you're running from. So my sort of um, story is that, you know, we like to own our buildings. So, you know, so obviously if you're running a business, you've got to pay rent somewhere. Sean, you might not want to hear that. But, um, you know, obviously uh, there's a lot of lot of owning your own buildings, you know. So I own a lot of our homewood buildings that we own, and we've got pretty good. This one here is, and gear back to this Korean guy that owned it, Mike said to me, oh, he won't sell it. Tony. So in 2013, we approached him. Oh, no, no, not for sale, but everything's for sale at the right price, isn't it? So we went to a price that we went to and we probably paid a lot more than we should have, but guess we owned the building. So, uh, yeah. You do something quite unique as well, though. Like, you probably, you know, from a marketing perspective, you you run the own your own marketing team, you have your own printer, you've got an amazing setup back there. What, I, I, I think one of the things, the guys that are in here, they, they know how that works, but one of the things with Homewood, they've always had great training and great marketing, and I wanted to make sure we carried that on. So I think, Janelle, are you here still? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Janelle runs their marketing department. It's pretty special what we provide here, isn't it, in terms of marketing? And I know there's other companies in town that do their own stuff too, but I think our stuff, guys, you're here. You can tell me if I'm out of line here. Yeah, video content, but also our, the material we produce in-house. It's pretty smart, isn't it? I think in business you've got to have a wee edge. Yeah. So when I say to people, if an agent's coming to see me, I say, look, what are you looking for? And they always say, I want good training, Tony, and good marketing and a great culture. I say, it's your lucky day. We can all do all three. So, but marketing and uh, training is, is is big for us. Sure. Um, any business has got uh, both cost centres and profit centres, and you've got to look at both. And what we've done in the last 12 months is looked at our cost centres, our profit centres, and then because we have such a wide um diverse portfolio. We've looked right across the portfolio and we worked out where the synergies and the scalability and we've had in the last 12 months anyone that's put their prices up more than we think is reasonable, we've actually gone back to them and said look do you want to revise those or not because we're going to put them out to tender and we've put some of them back out to tender and, and got a better result um, and it all it all works you know, think of all those all those synergies and all those that, that are in your business already where you already got stuff that's operating and is happening, and can it all fall in sync and can you save money? And the other thing I do is, I have done for years, is every, they're not checks these days, but they're on a big list of things, but I check every single one that goes out, just so you know what's going out. Yep. We had someone the other day bill us $1,200 for a door handle. And they'd made, and it wasn't right. It should have been 280. Oh, oh, oh! But it's easy when you're busy just to lock over that stuff. Yeah, especially if you're looking at big numbers, right? You yep. Constantly. And it's all money down the drain. Yep. It was a mistake. Yep. Yep. Could have been a nasty one, but it was a mistake. Yep. Mm. Yep. So cost centers, profit centers, and then if you can get that stuff in line, just fall into synergies, and you get scalability, then you can really save some money. Yeah. Nice. Does anyone have any questions? Anyone got something burning they'd like to ask? Comment when we comment. Um, this is not a hardcore advertising. No, 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 no. I realise that. No, no. I just want to say about. Uh, we, I, I came up with an idea about two years ago to run a what we call a super start for our team. So in other words, you know, have some high quality speakers. And I thought, well, this is going to cost quite a bit of money. So 
why don't we go to our suppliers and see if we can get a bit of sponsorship? So we've gone to the press and, you know, uh, realestate.co and trade me's and so forth. And we had John Kerwin last year. Uh, we had uh, some pretty good speakers this year, didn't we, guys? But a lot of it was, sorry, Josh Coman, fantastic speaker. A lot of this is um, inspiring our team, but a lot of the, um, um, obviously, to run that event costs a lot of money. So we've got a lot of sponsorship in for that. Yeah. And I guess that's about being resourceful, right? It is. You know? And it's interesting. Every franchise, well, two of them in town have copied us. And then I got a ring from Auckland franchisee saying, how much did you get out of realestate.co? We've never got any money out of them at all for anything. So they were ringing me to see what sort of money we got out of them. So if you don't ask, you don't get, my old saying. Anyone from the floor got a question? I'll keep, oh yeah, one more. Yeah. Hey, great stuff. Yeah, mate. Um, out of all your buildings there, how around for both your, do you own them or do you rent? <coughs> oh, around New Zealand. Um, we own a portion of them. We don't own the one here. Um, I, I probably will. We're in negotiation uh, every year. Um, every year, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but we we do own some. Yeah, and we're just looking at a new a new um, opening that'll probably open next month. And we've got two two opportunities either to lease or buy. And I'm trying to buy. Yeah, but because for all of the reasons that were talked about before, I was pretty dumb and leased buildings for twenty odd years without it really understanding commercial real estate. What What's your biggest regret in business? No, I don't. I, I don't have any really. I can't think of. Um, you know, I often say that it doesn't matter how smart you are. It's ultimately wisdom that sees you through. And uh, yeah, I've, I've made some monumental mistakes in my time, but you know, I am just smart enough not to make them twice normally. Tony, <laughs> any thoughts on that? In terms of oh, prob probably like to be in Christchurch a bit earlier. I love it here. And it's a great city to live in, and um, the business is great. You know, I've enjoyed it really immensely. So, hey, I loved it in Vicargo. Don't get me wrong, it was put me on the map, but so I've certainly enjoyed it up here, you know. I really haven't I really haven't got any regrets. Um, you, know, you look back in time with property and you think, well, I should have bought more or done more or whatever, but yeah. you pretty much do what you can do, really. Yeah. You know, there's only so much you can do. Brendan, can I reframe that question and ask what your biggest lesson is in business? Nice. That's a good one. Yeah. Just less. <laughs> <laughs> Probably when you're talking to banks, who's who's had a bit of trouble with banks lately? Uh, they don't like businesses, do they? So if you run a business, you go and borrow some money, they don't want to know you. So I found out very quickly that you need to own the buildings because if you want to borrow some money, you need some you need a building to, to secure the finance against. Or housing, or whatever it might be. So, um, the more property you own, I think Sean will agree to this. The far better, isn't it? Yep. yep. And I mean, that, that's what I've done with most of my. Obviously, the money I make out of business goes back into into owning the the building or whatever the property. I've had time to think about that. Um, <clears throat> I actually think it's it's uh, you know having the realization that you don't know everything, um, and the fact that you know you guys are here because you want to learn about marketing or dealing with Scott or whatever. I think we just ran it on it. Um, so uh, for me, it was it was a lesson just in the last wee while, actually, in the last couple of years. We were advertising for consultants, salespeople to come and work for us. 
Um, we've got eighty odd around the country, and I was really disappointed in the standard of the people that were applying to work for us, and I couldn't work it out. I've always, um, I really like employing people young. Um, I'm a people bag uh, young people today. I love them. Um, seems to be 22, 23, 24. That's where all our superstars come. Um, and they just weren't applying uh, for any of the jobs we're advertising. So I got together uh, three people uh, from around the country, 23-year-olds, and I said to them, you know, why do you work for us? Why do you, you, you know, you love working here. What is it that ticks your boxes? Because, you know, we're not getting any more people like you. And what we drilled down to was basically our recruitment ads. We were looking, we were selling trade stuff as a company and as a career opportunity. And so I would say, the three of them were sitting there and I said, okay, cool, look, New Zealand owned and operated. And they're like, yeah, sounds limiting. Okay. But, but <laughs> been in business for 27 years, yeah, you all sound old and fuddy-duddy, right? So all of the things that we were trading on, um, they, they, they found irrelevant. And so I'm like, all right, cool. Tell me, tell me what it is that you want in the workplace. You're young, you know, what do you want? And the first thing they all said was that they wanted to know that they were being listened to, that they, their, their opinion mattered. Uh, they wanted to be respected. They wanted to feel safe and, and they wanted to learn, all right? And we weren't using any of those phrases whatsoever in our, in our internal advertising, you know, advertising to work internally for us. So we drafted together an ad with them sitting around the table whacked it up on the internet and all that. And yeah, the quality and the quantity of the candidates that are coming to us has like tripled. Um, so, you know, if I want to employ 23-year-olds, um, I'm maybe not the best person to talk to them. <laughs> what a great example of, of like talking to your people, right? And, and success leaves clues inside that, right? You got your best people around and sat them down and asked them, hey, what do they want? And look, I think that's that's a credit to, you know, just listening and caring. And I think that's a big part of it, right? It's fair to say when they first started saying that they wanted to be listened to and have their opinions respected that I was, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I came to it eventually. <laughs> and, and to be fair, you have some superstars there, you know, the likes of Emma and, and uh, Kim and those girls. Are, they are superstars at what they do and they're young age running a pretty successful side of, of your business. Yeah, it turned out that we've got four or five people in the company that we we, we celebrate success. We have what we call the Trade Staff Living Legends. Uh, there's now nine of them. Um, basically, they they that's throughout the country. They are basically without question, those people. Um, we have annual awards, um, which everyone makes a big, big fuss about. But I realised that a whole bunch of our stars um, we, we got when they were 23. And so... I started looking at that or Michael Jordan thing, I suppose. I don't know, but you know, twenty-three seemed to be the number, and um, so you know, the focus then was to right, how do we get more of those? Yeah. yeah, and and you know, and we worked really hard at that. So we've got one guy, uh, his name's Tom Hill. We employed him when he was twenty-three up in um, in Hamilton. Today, his business unit, uh, he has eight full full-time directs running about 280, 300 temporary staff a day with a business that turns over 16 or $17 million. He's only just 27 now. Perfect. How good. Nice. Hey, any any other from the floor? I've got time for one more. One, Dennis. So where does wisdom come into it with a 23-year-old? Uh, that's that's me as a mentor, a lot of it. Um, allowing to make small mistakes but not big ones. 
Um, and we do that with all of our young people. So when when they start with us, they go through a bit of a period. Everyone that starts with us goes through a bit of a period and we give them, you know, the basic training and all that. And then after about six weeks or so, we have what we call the masterclass um, and they spend that day with me. Um, and that basically, as a group, and basically we say to them, look, you, you, um, you know, forget I own the company. I'm just the funny looking old fella that's been around a while that knows a whole bunch of stuff around this industry. So there's a lot of war stories, showing them the why. I'm a big believer in not so much showing them the how, but the why. Why do we do it like this and what difference does it make? And then checking on them. Um, I talked with everyone that starts with us in the first 12 months. I talk to at least once a month. And and that's in a, you know, I won't tell your boss on your situation. Um, and we very much have a no secrets policy. The You know, the only time I lose my rag these days at work is that if I'm surprised by something. Um, and so, you know, we're going through our process at the moment of budgeting for the year, and that's done in consultation with Tom, for instance. And I'll throw out a number of what I want. He'll then give me all the reasons why he can't. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. Um, and then then I hold him to that on a month, monthly basis. So like you were saying before about the numbers, um, you know, I know every day I know exactly how we're trading, where we're at, where we've got problems, where we're going well. Um, and so the wisdom basically comes from getting to hang around with people that have got wisdom, I think. Fine. In terms of growing your business, though, I think that's what some of the comment there about growing a business in a tougher market. This is an opportunity to really grow your business. I've always believed that if you're not growing, you're going backwards. So, you know, the old story, you know, there's always opportunities in a market like this. Hey, we, when I come to Christchurch, um, my general manager of property management, she was running 100 properties, and she knew all the owners individually, intimately. And I said, Caroline, do you want to grow this business? I'd gone through the same stage as myself over the years, wanting to do it myself. So we're now running about 1,400 properties, and she has delegated that role out, and we're now one of the biggest in terms of PM. So, and we, we're always for sale. We're always buying rent rolls if they're available. So I think you've got to be always open to an opportunity, because in business there's always opportunities. And so keep close to your bank. Make sure you've got good P&Ls so that you can you can act quickly if you need to. So. I'm a great one in knowing your KPIs in terms of your P&L. Obviously, banks need to know that too so that you can op- you know, move quickly on an opportunity if one comes up. What was the question, Scott? Uh, yeah. Wisdom. And, and, but also, maybe let's just finish with, with your thoughts on, on what we need to do right now to focus on. Um, well, firstly, wisdom. I think we all grow from lessons. So you have hard lessons, we grow. And we get older, we become wise because we've had life experiences. And Tony's right about opportunities in a hard market like we're in now where banks aren't lending to most people. If you're in a position where you can buy something, there's there's, there's really good opportunities there. And, um, you know, tough markets don't last, but tough people do. That's so, a good one too. You know, if you're, just fo- if you're just focus, 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 you'll get there. You know, it's again, it's writing goals, it's doing stuff, and, and get, I want to go there, that's where we're going. Perfect. Uh, guys, that, that concludes the, this part of the, uh, the evening, uh, but really appreciate you coming along. You know, we had 90-something-odd people book, uh, but you guys turned up, and I really, really appreciate that. Uh, you know, look, one of the things I really learned 
when the GFC hit and then the earthquakes is you really need to get around successful people if you want to want to grow your businesses and want to grow yourselves. So my advice right now is to meet the people in the room and, and ch exchange names, change phone numbers uh, and really, you know, work on your network uh, around successful people because there's a whole bunch of people that could be here that aren't, but you're here with a group of successful people. So take a pat on the back. And once again, I just want to say thank you to Tony uh, and the team from Harcourt's Home. Pre really appreciate uh, you taking a punt and helping me put this event on. Hi, Skolson here again. Hey, thanks for listening to the Marketing for Business podcast. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen and we hope that you learned a lot from today's episode. Uh, if you could be so kind as to rate and share the podcast with your other business friends and colleagues, that'd be awesome. And if you'd like to listen to more episodes, why don't you head over to our website, www.getdigitalinfluence.com. Uh, where we've got a whole bunch of other amazing interviews with business owners. Thanks for your time and have a great day.